Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hey, welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. I'm John Manuel, joined by J.J. Cooper and Matt Eddy today. Continuing our uh, top 10, oh look, our uh, organization top 10s. We finished the American League. We started on a raucous National League note yesterday with a <laughs> loud, uh, you know, I was all, I guess I was channeling Chris Russo talking Marlins. I don't think Chris Russo has ever gotten that worked up over the Marlins. So but it was a little uh, embarrassing to get as worked up as Chris Russo. So we're going to try to bring it down a notch today, but we will have a lot of passion about the Mets today as we talk Mets top 30 and top 10 with our own Matt Eddie, who's been ranking Mets prospects for a long time. And, um, has been ranking prospects for us at Baseball America. And also, Matt, I think it's important to point out, you only do one top 30 in the prospect handbook anymore. That's because you are the main editor of the prospect handbook now. You're the organizer. You read all 30 chapters. Um, so kudos to you on taking on that larger role and being the main editor of the prospect handbook. How good does it feel to have that in your rear view? Uh, very good. It's, <laughs> a, it, it's, it's, it's our best product, and it's, you know, take pride in being a part of that. Absolutely, you should. And the Prospect Handbook is available at store.baseballamerica.com. Uh, order it now. Get all uh, get the book directly from us. It's the way to get the book quickest. And you get uh, extra report for all 30 teams. So you get and 930 scouting reports with the extra supplement if you directly order from Baseball America and baseballamerica.com. And if we said, when we say quickest, we don't mean you're going to get it a day before you got it if you order it on Amazon. Like a month. We're talking a month. We're yeah. talking you get it you know, before you get ready for spring training instead of it's arriving as you're talking about spring training. We want you in our environment. We want you in our, uh, in our ecosystem. So order it directly. And you can also, uh, if you don't want to go online and order it, 800-845-2726 is the way to order it uh, over the phone. Matt, the Mets have been pretty successful over the time you've been reviewing their prospects at developing homegrown players. That's a key reason why they won the National League pennant in 2015. Homegrown pitchers, some key bats like Wilmer Flores and Michael Conforto. And right now we look at the Mets system and the strength, and one of the reasons the Mets have a pretty decent farm system is they have two hitting prospects who were young for AA, who both reached AA, one spent the whole year there, one reached it, and Ahmed Rosario and Dominic Smith Nice one-two punch at the top of this system. Both these guys seem like they are ready to be regulars at the latest. I would say 2018, I expect both these guys to be regulars in Queens. Uh, have the Mets had that in the recent past with two position players that close to the big leagues and that uh, uh, accomplished? And uh, how, how do you rate these two guys in the in, in, against the backdrop of other recent Mets top 30s you've mm -hmm. done? Well, the gold standard will always be David Wright, Jose Reyes, debuting in 2003 and 04. That's pretty awesome. And lasted Millich right on their heels. <laughs> but uh, that, 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 that was my time. And Scott Casimir. Oh, that that was back of my time doing the, uh, doing the Mets list. <laughs> so two out of three ain't bad. But, yeah, Wright and Reyes, I think, will always be the gold standard. Uh, I don't think this duo will reach those heights because Wright was on a Hall of Fame trajectory before his back and his health betrayed him. Yeah. I'd agree. Uh, but these guys are, are good. I, Rosario, in particular, is a impact shortstop. He does everything well except hit home runs, and I think and that's okay. And the Mets are pretty optimistic that he can get to average, average at, power, at, at least average power. Which now we're talking ten to twelve home runs. Yeah, I mean, like we, we you've written extensively about this. I know that you and JJ have talked about this a lot. Um, you got to have at least fringe average power to be a big league regular. It, you know, I think there were questions about Ahmed Rosario's bat 
coming into this year. As well as should have been. And he certainly answered them, though, it seems like, in 2016. I mean, it wasn't – it's small sample size of double A, so 341 and 54 right. games. You, know, you do take that a little bit with a grain of salt. But ultimately, what kind of offensive production do you think he can provide as an everyday regular in New York? Could he be as good offensively as, say, an Asdrubal Cabrera has been at his peak? Not, say, in 2016, but like a good Asdrubal Cabrera season. like a – 15 home run kind of guy, and this is, a, in my mind, clearly a superior defender to Azrubal yeah. Cabrera. I think the realistic mm-hmm. offensive ceiling is the, the shape of his production will be more like Elvis Andrus. Mm-hmm. As a speed-oriented, defense-oriented, not huge power, but a good offensive player. And that's a, and no silver slugger, but... Right, and like Elvis Andrus, I think I think actually has a little bit of a bad rap. I do think that Ahmed Rosario has a little bit more pop than Elvis Andrus has had over his career, but Elvis finally came into his power. feels like Ahmed Rosario, having talked about him in the Florida State League the last two years, there's a little whippiness to his swing. He doesn't maybe have the, the body, like the strength that you see with Elvis Andrus now that he finally came into some power. But this guy is fairly selective, does have speed, like you said, but it feels like this guy's going to drive the ball to the gaps fairly consistently. The Mets are confident that, 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 that that's true, and I would not be surprised. I think a much more divisive guy, J.J., and a guy that we've discussed for the last couple of years, maybe three years really, is Dominic Smith. Like I'm more, Ahmed Rosario is just – there are a lot of big leaguers like Ahmed Rosario. Latin American shortstops who are athletic, have pretty good tools, and that power might be the, the, the fifth best tool for them. There are a lot of guys like that. There are not a lot of first-round pick, high school first basemen Period. who are bad-body guys like Dom Smith is – he is divisive within our own office. I don't think there's a, any other way to put it. We have Dom Smith guys, and we have non-Dom Smith guys in this office. He's a split. I think when you talk to scouts, JJ, and obviously Matt, follow up on this, but he's a split camp guy with scouts, is he not? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, you, there are things that Dominic Smith, there's a pretty much across the board consensus that he does well. For a, for a big guy, there has been... Across the board consensus, he is at first base. This is a guy who knows how to pick it, and really good hands. Really good hands, and those play really well at first base. You know, now you get a little debate about how much range he has, but again, when you talk about a first baseman, what is the defensively? What's the first requirement? How good are your hands? Because mm-hmm. can you scoop it? Can you you know all that? He's really good at that. He's he's Terminator X like. I mean, Terminator X's best tool was his hands. This guy's got great hands. But then I think there's also pretty much consensus that you are talking about a guy who's going to hit for average. He's always been able to hit. He hits for average. That part, okay. We've 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 covered what is the consensus. We've covered the knowns. The known knowns. When it comes down to it, is is last year was last year was encouraging as far as the power. But there still is a lot of debate out there about, is this a guy who's going to hit for enough power? We talked about, we were talking about Ahmed Rosario. Now, the thing about it is, is that if you said what position can you be a sub-45 you know, sub power guy and be a regular, it's shortstop. Right. Absolutely. First base, generally you're looking for 60 power. And that's the question is, is okay, not that Dom, is Dominic Smith going to be a, a big leaguer, because Dominic Smith is going to be a big leaguer. But that range, that's a very, uh, there's a very fine line there between the guys. There's not many guys who pull off the hit over power first base profile. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a lot of them that do, 
uh, end up being really more kind of second division than first division. I think of James Loney. James Loney's had a long career. Right. And James Loney is every bit as good defensively. I mean, that was always kind of his rep kind of as well. I mean, he's, a, you know, and he's better body guy. But James Loney, if you talk about, James Loney's a long career, but it's, has James Loney when has James Loney been a first division regular first baseman? I mean, he had some decent years where he was with the Dodgers and they were a first division team. It wasn't because James Loney was a driving force. He was a nice part of that team, but he was a six or seven hole hitter. That's generally to, to me, Matt. The, the the physical comp big leaguer for Dom Smith is Yonder Alonso. Yeah, and they're similar type players, and that they're short. Mm-hmm. Tom Smith is listed six foot. Yeah, Yonder's six one, thick bodied, mm-hmm. and hit overpower guys. That was their reputation. And Yonder Alonso has played now parts of seven years in the major leagues. Wow, and has never hit double digit home runs. So he's the floor. Awesome. That's the definition of a second division first baseman. His career high in home runs is nine, um, and and he had a you know two thousand twelve for the Padres or this 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 year for the for the. Um, A's, he had 253, 316, 367. Like last year, peak age, age 28 for the Padres, 282, 361, 381. That's the absolute floor. And I think Dom Smith's track record is a little better in the minor leagues than Yonder Alonso's was. Can he be a better player than that? Can he be uh, you know, from the Brandon Bell, Eric Hosmer school where those guys were hit over power, but they've come into some home run power? Um, or is he, is he going to be one of these guys who learns like, like an early career Jim Tomey did? I'm not saying he's going to hit 600 home runs, but early career Jim Tomey was hit over power mm-hmm. and then learned, boy, I know when I can really turn on one yeah. and develop into a guy who sacrifices average. Anthony Rizzo did the same thing, who sacrifices batting average for power. Anthony Rizzo has actually, actually managed to do both. Well, we've seen Smith do that in the minor leagues, going from one home run in his debut to... X in year two into 14 this year. But this year really encapsulated the kind of the dual sides. In the first half, he hit for power like he never had as a pro. And in the second, he hit 350. Right. So, I mean, I think ultimately, I think ultimately we're looking at a 60 hitter with 55 power. So that's, I mean, that's, and that's a good, that's a good player. That's an optimistic, that's, but with, I think realistic. With a plus glove yeah. at first base. That, that's optimistic and realistic, I think, for Dominic Smith. Because like you and said... That, that's, that's a top 100, and he was last year. I mean, that right. is, we're talking about a top 100 prospect. I mean, this is not a guy... When we say... But I don't think he's an elite prospect. I've seen elsewhere, this is like a top 30, top 50 guy for some people. Not for me. I don't think there's anything that make any of our top 50s in the handbook. And he, I, I, I just don't see the case for Dom Smith as elite prospect. I like what he does... I just think you have to double project or project a, a full grade to really say he's an impact bat at first base. You either have to project him as a seven hitter mm-hmm. or you're projecting him to be like a six power guy. Have you found any scouts who've done that? Uh, the tenor from scouts has improved. You know, I think they were able to get past, look past some of the biases. Because he because does it, not look it, like, he doesn't look the part. No, soft physique. He's his. He doesn't seem super motivated on the field during that, that, during pregame workouts. Say, scouts, low energy. Level. Scouts scouts hate that. that he's that, got a little Jeb Bush in him. That that's he's what a little low energy. But that's where scouts. I mean, like, 
multiple scouts, multiple teams, the first thing they talk about La- is, lazy is the word that I've heard. The, the first thing they mm. talk about is, is they, again, we're talking about not in-game. We're really mm-hmm. talking about pre-game routine and all. And they're like, he, he's a slow twitch guy anyway, generally. But they, they want to see more. They want to see more energy. They want to see more. And again, maybe maybe they're focusing on things. I mean, it's not that's not Dominic Smith. But maybe they're focusing on things that really, in the end of the day, don't matter that much. Because mm-hmm. we are talking about a guy, it was a very good year he had last year. But at the and same he got time, better as the year went on, like Matt said. And that usually a guy who's a low energy guy, you're wondering about his motivation. You're wondering about like, is he athletic enough to do this? He seems like he's but, he's done it. But he's you know, but it you know who we're year. talking about. Like, it's the funny thing is, is we just did an Astros podcast, John, and when we talked about you know when we talk about Colin Moran, yeah. you hear a lot of the same things. <laughs> yes, you do. And you hear about. I mean, the, the funny thing is, is. Making a Colin Moran Dominic Smith comp is a very strange because That's they're very JJ. they are very different players. Hey, if but, Dom Smith threw right-handed, I guarantee you he'd play third base, not mm-hmm. first, because he's got good feet. When he was in high school, everyone talked about this was a guy who could play shortstop if he threw right-handed. No way, now there are no six foot two fifty first base uh, shortstops. But if he threw right-handed, couldn't you see him playing third base? The Mets said he actually wanted to play catcher after they first signed him. But he throws left-handed. It's a catcher body. Which, uh, again, I do always love that. So you're no, comping, you can't catch. You're let, throw left-handed. So you're comping him to Mike Squires now. <laughs> but, but again, Colin, but the th- yeah. and you hear the same thing from scouts talking about Colin Moran that you do about Dominic Smith. Low energy. Yes. I want to see more fire out of him. And then the second part, when you go to the actual grading it out, the concern, Colin Moran, you can hit. Right. He's going to hit. Now, I'll say this for Dominic Smith. Dominic Smith has hit at a younger age at every level. And he gets he walks where mm-hmm. Colin Moran does not. Mm-hmm. But the same concern about the power. Like, I, I love the comp. Smith, I think that's inspired. Smith has improved his, his strikeout mm-hmm. rate and isolated power each season. That's why I like Dom Smith. I, 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 I a I do like the makeup. We've talked to this kid. We've had him on a podcast last year. We've had him in the Futures Games. In person, he does have energy. He's a he's a high energy guy in person. He's always smiling. I bet he's a great teammate. Um, I know my reports on him last year in the Florida State League were very positive from a teammate standpoint. Coaches like him. Scouts outside the organization yes. have to get past that, that, that his look in BP and in and out. He just doesn't give you a good look. And like you said, the soft physique, not a good look for him. Our information is he's working on that this offseason. Mm-hmm. I now make him sound like a Mike Myers candidate, uh, a character, middle-aged man. Are you looking at my gut? I'm working on it. Remember that guy? I, no, I have turned into that guy. But, but the, the, the telling thing for me is the improvement uh, year to year continues for him. And that's, I, and that's important. Mm-hmm. I do think he's always getting to hit into a lot of double plays. Doesn't run well. Mm-hmm. He's not a guy who's a elevate guy. He's a swing plane. He's going to hit a lot of ground balls. Mm-hmm. I think he can be a solid average to above average big league first baseman and a better player than a Lucas Duda. But the, to go the, to use the Duda line, but I don't think he's going to be a star. Yeah, what's interesting about the, what you mentioned there is Duda and Astrobel Cabrera are free agents after this season, so the deck hmm. the deck will be clear in in uh, eighteen for for uh, Rosario and Smith. And, interesting. And the interesting thing with that is is that this is the Mets team. Uh, there are time, you know, this is the Mets team now that I feel like that's perfectly timed in some ways in that. I, I guess I'm going bigger picture for just a minute. Where do you, when you look at the NL East and you look at where the Mets are, I mean, clearly they're aiming to contend in 2017, but it does strike me 
we, we kind of have, it's not, probably not fair to call it an end date on the Nationals, but we have some significant things looming with the Nationals, obviously. Most, most importantly, Bryce Harper becoming a free agent. I, I feel like this Mets team, this could be a pretty, a relatively lengthy window, especially if guys like Rosario and Smith kind of, kind of transition in. If Michael Conforto is, you know, can can basically put last year behind him, right? And, you know, it, and Wilmer Flores, yeah. had a, a quiet breakthrough year, I think, especially in the second half. But I feel like this is kind of a, you know, I, I think that I feel like that these guys are kind of a key to this being a long window for the Mets, not. Well, they had a great, you know, they made it to the World Series, you know, and now yeah, they hung around a little bit. This is, I feel like the, the future is still pretty bright here. Yeah, one thing looking at the Mets system, I, I agree with you. They have a lot of uh, range of inventory. Like they have prospects pretty much all over the diamond. You know, up the middle, catcher, center field, mm-hmm. pitching. The pitching depth is thinned, obviously, because they've graduated multiple you know, frontline starters. And But they, they addressed that a little bit with Justin Dunn. Robert Gesellman is ready to pitch 150 innings. Pretty important, I think. Robert Gesellman is a guy who's become a very important pitcher for the Mets. I want to get back to him in a minute. I did want to kind of, I don't know if I'd say round up the upper-level guys, but you do have two guys who've, there's probably a little prospect fatigue with Cicchini and Brandon Nimmo, yeah. uh, future Team Italy stars for 2017 WBC. But Brandon Nimmo, your natural Wyoming Italian, and uh, Gavin Cicchini, these two guys have 50 grades in the book, 50 medium grades. They are not risky, um, but doesn't it seem like either of these guys are going to fulfill the ceilings that you'd like, Matt, when you're picking these guys in the first dozen picks? Was it Nimmo? Where was Nimmo? 15th 11, overall? 11th okay, 11th so, overall. Yeah. And Cicchini was 12. Yes. But let's look at what they can do. We, we know by now what they can't do because there were 2011 and 2012 high school picks. If they were going to be stars, they'd been in the big leagues by now. But they're both going to be contributors. What role will they play in 2017 and beyond? There's not really a spot for Nimmo at this point because they have somebody left-handed hitting outfielders. It's a very crowded outfield. <laughs> I mean, he's headed back to Las Vegas after hitting 352 there last year. Yeah. Which, which, which 352 in Vegas, you know, is a uh, it's a good year. Yeah, even in Vegas. <laughs> even in Vegas. But, but Granderson and Bruce obviously are not going to be around forever. Yes. <laughs> Older jokers. Uh, Chikini could see some time at second base, I would expect, you know, if Neil Walker's back injury is a, is a big X factor for the Mets this year, yeah, Cicchini could get a lot of that playing time. Matt Reynolds could get that playing mm-hmm. time. Uh, I, I expect them to be 50, 50 players, like borderline between the first and second division. Mm-hmm. Like guys who, to me, like a 50 guy is a guy who's a good regular while he's cheap. Mm-hmm. But when you're having to decide, are we going to invest in this guy long term or not, you don't. That's, that's Both of them have improved dramatically as they've risen. It, you know, it's tough. And I, it, you talk to the Mets front office, and they say, you're too light on these guys. You've got to move these guys up. It's hard to know what to make of that sometimes. Well, but, but they do have high floors. With Cicchini, the, the concern I've always had, like, okay, he's, he's primarily been a shortstop, and we know that he's not, I mean, he's not going to push aside Ahmed Rosario. There's just no question on that. Not only that, he just can't play shortstop. But that's what I, but I was going to come back to. I do. The concern I have with him is is defensively, how good can he be even slid over? You know, that's really the question I have. Is is are we talking about a guy? Now again, this is the Mets. This is not a team that if you can hit, they have shown a willingness mm-hmm. to put you in the lineup, even if you're below average defensively. But 
not range-wise and all, I don't think that's going to be a concern, but with the throwing and all, is Chikini a guy who can be a reliable defender uh, at second or bouncing around a little bit, second, short, maybe a little bit of third as a utility guy? Or outfield, potentially. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think, I think his arm is just a touch short, and his mechanics are not – Perfectly suited for shortstop. I got, so, a, I got a Josh Coleman. I found my PCL notes. I got a Josh Colmenter comp on his throwing motion this it's, year. It's very high over the top. Yeah, and that, and then because of that, he feels pressure to be quicker yes. and gets out of time, and th- that's why he's so and, inconsistent at third at shortstop. He, but on the right side of the infield, that is not a concern. And that, that's that, that's a uh, that's an old scouting. Uh, you're talking to scouts, you know, before when uh, when we try to learn from scouts as much as we can. One of the things that is a differentiator, and we say what, what makes a shortstop a shortstop versus the guy who can't be a shortstop, one of the things about it is, is a shortstop is a guy who can throw from a variety of arm angles. Yes. Correct. And, a, and that's not Cicchini. And, and Cicchini is a guy who throws from an arm angle, but second base, that works out a lot better because it doesn't. that is not as much of a, a drawback as it is when you're playing short. That's a great call. Yeah, he's led both of his past two leagues in shortstops by errors, so... And so he, both he and Cicchini, and both he and Nimmo are a little bit of tweeners. If you had to put money on one of those guys being a regular, regardless of the Mets fit, mm-hmm. it's Nimmo, right? He, he seems like he has a little bit more chance to be a regular, especially if second base is a power position. That's tough. I would say the infield value would probably. I think Nimmo has a higher ceiling with the bat, but. I look at the big yeah. league. I look at big league left-handers, uh, left fielders, and I see Brandon Nimmo being a guy who's a perfectly crumbling left fielder these days, where his value might come almost as much from his defense, being a really good defender in left field and hitting for average, like a better fielding Michael Saunders. Like there are guys like him, where he's not a classic profile left fielder, but I feel like he has a shot there. Whereas I th- feel like Chikini, I just don't feel there's enough impact in the bat. Yeah. So and I, I like that you rank Nemo ahead of Chiquita. And you get and you get that from scouts. Okay. Scouts they also comment on it doesn't look like it comes natural for Jakini. There's a lot of effort. That's kind of a, a criticism that some prospects get. I think fair I also, or not. I also grade him but you know, the brother was a premium hitter in the lower minor minors and just wasn't athletic enough. The game he had a lot of effort to his game and I might be Holding the sins of the brother against him, again, Dante Bichette, Bo Bichette fashion, which look, I criticize when I did is, the Blue Jays. I mean, this is a fascinating family, and it's a family that you it's know. It's a great baseball it's family. It's a great baseball family. I'm all in on the Chikinis. That, that, that you know, I mean, it, it's both an asset and it is, it, in some ways, I can see how scouts almost make it a drawback, though. Is you're talking about someone who's very well coached. Right. Who grew up in the game. You know, I mean, his mom, mom probably did mom and dad. more baseball than most yeah. people. And you're talking about because of that, I know I understand there's almost a little bit of reluctance, like, okay, how much how much of this is that he's always been a little bit ahead of everyone else because he's just been bathed in the game for so long. But as you said, the thing that does stand out is is as he's moved up the ladder, he's also shown improvement in significant ways, which that's the thing. He's already passed a, a test that his brother never passed. Right. His brother, AAA. You're right. His, his brother basically destroyed a ball, you know. Uh, batting average on base, and the concern with him, who was a third baseman, the concern always was, can he do it defensively? Probably not. Is he going to hit for any power? And the answer is, is he got to the upper levels of the minors, and it was like, 
No, he can't play third. And no, there is no power. If he tries to hit for power, the hitting, the batting average goes away. He was exposed, I believe, as they say in the in the movie, he was a sitting duck. Whereas, he did not have whereas Gavin, arena. Gavin is a much more well-rounded, uh, to me, tool set. Yeah. That kind of and being again being an, uh, a true up the middle player, that that gives him a, a big edge over his brother. Yeah, Garen's twenty thirteen was pretty loud, but just don't forget he hit three fifty in the Carolina he League. Did. With yeah. more walks and strikeouts, that was how many helpers at the uh, at the time he slugged five forty seven, which was almost a two hundred ISO. Yeah, a lot of triples. Nineteen doubles, four triples, five home runs in sixty three games. The, I remember at the time, he he and Mookie Betts were viewed in a similar light in the Red Sox system. Tells you how things change. It just tells you how important athleticism is in the game. That that's just the bottom line. Now the Mets do have other position players, Matt. I know I don't want to belabor it too much. But I like Thomas Nito. Mm-hmm. Catchers take a while. 2011 yep. or 2012 draft? 2011. 2011, Thomas Nito. But then batting championship in the Florida State League. He's got some catch and throw ability. I mean, the Mets have done a nice job of bringing catchers along in recent years. Um, he's yet another one. And then Desmond Lindsay is kind of your yeah. shoot-the-moon, high-ceiling athlete with physicality guy. Um, I like both those guys. I also like a system that has guys like Matt Reynolds and TJ Rivera in the upper levels. They have cheap pieces if they have injuries. Both I think I think that both those guys are capable fill-ins, reserves. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a position player that you really like that you wanted to expound upon? But, a bit? Maybe Desmond Lindsay. Yeah, L- Lindsay's the guy who deserves discussion. I mean, he is definitely a first division potential. He went out in a kind of a, a brief New York Penn League season because of his hamstring injury again, which is a major concern. But yeah. In terms of ceiling, it's a, it's a 60 ceiling at least. There's some hitting he, he ability has, here. He has, He's not just an athlete. He has primary skills and secondary skills. He can walk, he can run the bases, he can play center field. He's got some power, got some twitch. He does. I mean, if he can't stay in center field, if the hamstring issue robs him of a half step, or it's the kind of thing where the Mets are like, you know, we don't want you to run as much. We're going to put you on a corner. He may have the bat to do that, right? Yes. I mean, right. I think you're pretty confident he'll have the bat to be a corner guy. Yeah. And, and talking with the Mets, yeah, they're very confident. And people in the Penn League loved him, too. If you look at our – go back to our Penn League top 20, he's like yeah. the top position player yeah. or one of the top guys. Yeah, and I think we should also mention Thomas Zabucki and Justin Dunn. Those guys right. with – Yeah, I want to move on to the yeah. I just want okay. to wrap up the hitters. But Desmond Lindsay is a guy like – I guess my baseline I keep using in the offices. He's better than Jemai Jones. Uh, he's the Jemai Jones is the number one prospect for the Angels. I'm ranking Desmond Lindsay on my personal 150 higher than Jemai Jones. Agreed. I just, I just, you know, not all number one prospects are created equal. And you know, I, this is a loud grade on Desmond Lindsay in the book. 60 extreme is a loud, high ceiling grade. I don't feel like we consider Desmond Lindsay in the industry the way we think about maybe a Daz Cameron or a Garrett Whitley. But if you're in a if you're in a deep keeper league, I prefer Lindsey to both those guys. He's shown some ability to hit. I agree. You on board with that one, JJ? You on board with <laughs> no, that I, one? I, I, yeah. Just because those guys were first-round picks don't mean no, jack I, to me. No, again, and, and the other same thing. Same draft class, I prefer Lindsey. Same draft class, and the other thing about that is is that I, when you get this far out, because, like, again, tools-wise, there's not a dramatic difference. Again, Daz Cameron, not trying to rail on Daz Cameron, but Daz Cameron, tools-wise, is not in a different Stratosphere than Desmond Lindsay and Desmond he is, Lindsay. He's lower. He's at a lower stratosphere. And Desmond Lindsay has shown a better ability to hit 
at the pro level so far, mm-hmm. then now again there I are. I still cons- like him to be in full season ball. I'd like to be full <laughs> season ball, although he's a second rounder, not a first rounder. Right. There's again, I one of the JJ little JJ isms, a second rounder who's not in full season ball in his first full year, a little different because there's a reason you fell to the second round. That's right. That's the exactly first rounder right. who doesn't, that's a concern because you were taken the first round. No one takes nowadays takes a first rounder because you're so raw that it's going to take a long time. Those are second, third, fourth rounders. Unless you're Bubba Starling. So, yes. Um, no, I agree. I agree completely. Um, let's move on to the pitchers, Matt, because the Mets have been very good at developing pitchers. That, I think, is one of the reasons why they drafted Justin Dunn and Anthony Kay, because right. it's like I just remember the Yankees doing this with David Oppenheimer where he said, you know what? Push comes to shove. We're good at drafting and developing pitchers. We have more confidence in that. So if we're... If two prospects are close, we should probably take the pitcher because we've had more success developing those guys. The Mets seem like they're kind of in that same boat, but Justin Dunn uh, is unique. You did a little research on this, and it's just very hard to find another guy who was a college closer up until the last half of his draft season (laughs) and was then drafted in the first round. So there must be something special there. That's why he gets an extreme in the book, right? Yeah, you can find examples of guys who've switched roles prior to the draft year, but right. never during the draft year, which Dunn, which Dunn did. Uh, right. And there's still a lot of people in the industry who think reliever when they think Dunn. He hasn't shown he can get out left-handers consistently to, to their satisfaction. Yeah. He doesn't have a – you know, but he, he does throw a changeup, and he does have two – he has the you know one of the best fastballs and sliders already in the system. Good place to start. There is a front line. There's It's a quick arm. That's what stands out to me. Not a ton of mileage. I mean, there's a lot of growth potential. And I think, as you mentioned with the Mets pitcher development, having that in his sales works in his favor. The other thing to me that stands out is is that I know Anthony Kay, I mean, things have not worked out like the Mets had hoped when they drafted Anthony Kay. You don't want it to be something where... He's on a Steven Matz plan. Right. You don't want it to be something where, oh, okay, um, well, we will look forward to seeing you on the mound at some point in the future. That's not what you're looking for. That being said, I still do like, I like when a team can take two college arms like that and kind of, two very different college arms in many ways, and kind of spread the risk a little bit. That's, that's to me, I, I like their draft from last year, partly because of that, even with Kay having the injury. They really needed that injection of upper-level pitchers because, aside from Matt Harvey, most of the guys they've developed have been high school or trade. Noah Syndergaard, Zach Wheeler. Yeah, great point. You know, they haven't... They don't have a track record for developing this particular demographic. But Robert Gesellman <clears throat> is the high school death demographic, and the trade, the, the development of him is a pretty good success story for them, Matt, because this is a guy who has been in top 30s in the past, but has never been in the top 10 because he never had a year like he had last year and never really showed that this was a guy who could be more than just a back-of-the-rotation guy. What did he do to get better last year? Improved his secondary stuff. His strikeout rate spiked in the major leagues. He picked up a the uh, the, the power slider that Dan Worthen teaches. The Worthen slider. Yeah, I so will say it's essentially throwing a slider at as hard as possible at you fastball had, velocities. Yeah. yeah, you had him number fourteen coming into the year, which is a fairly aggressive ranking coming off the fact that you know he'd been good but not great. Yeah, he never. He's until this day he's never dominated the minors. His major league performance is an outlier. Performance is an outlier, and it was. Yep. Focused against the Braves and Phillies. He, he faced them six or seven times. He made seven starts. So Okay, four or five a, times. That's an important caveat, I think. Uh, in September. I think it's important to note that you don't want to, and that's why you didn't 
overdo it with his ranking. You brought him up, but he's number seven. But his big league starts were at St. Louis. Well, not starts, big league outings. At St. Louis, Philadelphia, Washington, at Atlanta, at Washington, Atlanta, Philadelphia, Philadelphia. So it was primarily built on two teams. The the Braves were playing better in the second half, certainly. Phillies were playing worse. The Phillies were playing worse. (laughs) And the last two starts were 13 innings. So he had 19 of his 35, you know, his 44 innings were against the Phillies, which was like Odubel Herrera, Cesar Hernandez, and a bunch of placeholders, basically. So, um, so take that September stuff, well, the September performance of the grain of salt, but the stuff is what was probably most encouraging about that debut, right? Yes. Yeah, I mean, especially good velocity, good breaking ball velocity. Good enough, good enough changeup. He's a starting pitcher. That's a so a right-handed pitcher, JJ, who spins a breaking ball. That's, gotta that's have the John it. Manuel. You gotta have it, and uh, it doesn't seem to hurt that he's got some flow. If you're gonna be a Mets pitcher, <laughs> they seem to like the flow. Uh, it doesn't hurt. It didn't it doesn't hurt Jacob Degrom, and it doesn't hurt uh, Syndergaard. Syndergaard yeah. So I mean, like, he doesn't have to be a front of the rotation guy. No, no. not for them. <laughs> um, and, and it feels like he is ready to be a fourth or fifth starter. Which, uh, which I think like. so. And and just for the record, he had a labrum tear in his left shoulder that he mm-hmm. played through last year, so he couldn't actually swing the bat. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's kind of a fun little tidbit. Yeah, he, he still went up there anyway and swung <laughs> the bat. Still up there. And... <laughs> but, he's not, he's, but he's better like, than he, some his, of the other guys, like the Marcus Molinas and some of these yeah. other back rotation well, guys. His makeup and toughness are separators. And yeah. the other thing is, is, again, the thing that does stand out to me about this Mets list is, is Marcus Molina and Anthony Kay don't make the top ten. And both of them, for good reasons, you know, we got to see Molino's back on the mound, but Molina, basically for the AFL, but, mm-hmm. you know, we want to see him back on the mound for an extended stretch. Anthony Kay, we're waiting for him to basically take, make his pro debut injuries. But those guys not being the top ten does signify, again, a reminder of the Mets still, even with one of the best pitching staffs in baseball, and, again, Funny thing with that is I don't know what we can depend on Zach Wheeler at this point, but the reality is is that we, no, no one's coming through that door going good luck. We're all counting on you. Right, but <laughs> but, Zach, but you you have Zach Wheeler who has been a you know a legit dude uh, you know earlier in his career kind of just as just like oh yeah he's another guy we got to figure out where he fits in and all that. You have a you have a, a pretty loaded starting rotation still, and you have a significant number of upper level and lower level pitchers coming up behind them. And a number of guys who really do, if it all breaks right, are more than just back-end contributors. That This is, again, it for a system that is of a contender that has made moves mm-hmm. and that has been contending for the last couple of years, mm-hmm. it's, it's, still, it's, a, it's a pretty solid system. Yeah, the legacy of uh, their scouting department that has made a change there, what Mark Tremuda is now the new mm-hmm. scouting director, Tommy Tain is promoted to what a, like a vice president. Kind of level. That's correct. But so so Tommy Tanis's legacy. I mean, obviously he's still going to be very involved. Paul De Podesta's legacy from running their farm system for many years before he went to the NFL took on Pretty a uh, took on a bigger took on an even bigger challenge. Of, hey, he but. got the mess to win a pennant. He's like, this is small fry. This is small. This is <laughs> this is nothing. Let me go to the Cleveland stinking Browns. Um, yeah, so there's a pretty good legacy there. It's a pretty decent depth. The other impact guy that we mentioned earlier. Let's talk about Thomas Sapucky, Matt, because. He is a guy who, again, Hudson Belinsky doing the Appy League was very impressed with Thomas Apucky. Just on pure stuff, mm-hmm. he's another potential future six player. Yes. 
It's you could go as high as seven on both of his primary pitches, fastball, breaking ball. That's pretty loud stuff. The changeup is not as refined because he's he's got the lower arm slot. Uh, but you could some of the notes are, are glowing. People saw him in the Abbey League. You know, this is what a frontline left-hander looks like, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, good body. And, and the performance, he had the highest strikeout rate of any pitcher in the short season ball this year. I mean, it was really kind of like a Matt Moore-ish yes. kind of debut with fewer <clears throat> walks. But he doesn't do it as easy as Matt Moore does. No. The delivery has effort, and he finished the season on the shelf with a, a back injury or some back tightness. or right. I forget how it's classified. Like Blake but, Snell is another. These are, these are guys who are, we, we think of as guys who were high school left-handed with big stuff who in rookie ball put up some really eye-popping strikeout numbers. And they both became... Big league rotation guys, and obviously Snell was our minor league player of the year. So Pucky's strikeout numbers are in that caliber of those Yes. Guys. Give give me 20 starts in A-ball next year, and I'll run him way up. That's right. He'll be in everybody's top 100. Oh, absolutely. Right. He'll be and top 50-ish. Because if, if he shows you the durability to pitch you 110 innings and 20 to 25 starts, if his stuff is what it has been, he's going to miss a lot of bats. Yeah, he's, he's impressive. And we got a question that was asking about uh, another guy on this list, mm-hmm. P.J. Conlon, who is, I would in some ways frame him as the on the other end of the spectrum. Yes. P.J. Conlon is a fascinating guy, uh, ERA leader for the minors last Minor league year. ERA champion. Minor yeah. league ERA champion. champion. He is the champion. For his friends. career, and it didn't have a whole, you know, because he didn't give up a run in Brooklyn the yeah. year before. That's so right. his ERA actually went up <laughs> as he was the minor league ERA champ. That that raised his <laughs> career ERA, which is impressive. But 12-3, and 3, 1.47 in 159 minor league innings so far. Right there, let's just start with... Um, Impressive, wow, all that. That being said, this is a guy who does it with. Is there a sixty that you you know? You could you could put a six on the changeup, and his control is very strong. I, I get the sense from, from talking with scouts that reliever is the role they're most comfortable projecting him to. The best comp I got was J.P. Howell. Hmm, that's interesting. That's a high leverage reliever for a good team for multiple seasons. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I think he is the kind of guy, J.J. that. We've talked about where it's easy to get fooled if you're just evaluating him on the numbers because low class A and A ball, short season balls, where you could dominate with command and you don't have to have great mm-hmm. stuff. So the fact that he has a 147 ERA career in 159 innings doesn't tell you a ton. Like how he does it is more important than what he's and, doing and the cons- at that level. And the concern is, is if you can command and you have a changeup in A ball, right. there are a lot of hitters who they literally at that point they're done because yeah. they just you can go you're actually doing them a favor for their future development like oh that's how a good change up goes but <laughs> you can double up on a change up on those guys and it does not you can double up and the next time up you can double up and the next time up you can double up yeah. and it's like they just can't hit it and that doesn't mean that he's going to hit this massive wall next year because again i like that he's a lefty a lefty mm-hmm. with you know who control to change up it's a lot of different stories that are right, but I that love being that JP Halcom. But that being that's said, <laughs> that's a good one. That that being said, these are the guys who they go as they go up the ladder, especially fat. You know, Conlon's fastball is always going to be something that he can locate it well enough, but it's basically playing off the changeup rather than the other way around. Those guys have a tougher as they get against more advanced hitters. Yeah. That is a much tougher way to pitch than it is in the low minors. We'll see if he can sit more 90 consistently in, in the bullpen. But right now, his, 
87, 88. There's I like I like the funk. There's a little funk to it too. Mm-hmm. Um, the little crossfire, if I remember right, you know, it's it's a lot of things that like to add to the the whole package, but. But I like the fact that the Mets didn't have a first-round pick in 2015. Correct. But they found Desmond Lizzie in the second round, who they really like. Uh, Desmond Tom- David Thompson's interesting. They traded Max Botel for big leaguer, right? Jay Bruce. For Jay Bruce, so not terrible. They found Thomas Zapucky. Corey Taylor has been redonkulous for them as a pro. Yep. And he led Division One in ERA his last year, I believe, oh, out wow. of the bullpen. They for love Texas ERA Tech. leaders. He, they so, sent him to the to the fall league as wait. as a second year pro. So he's he's on the horizon for them. Wait, talking uh, about Corey Taylor. Corey Taylor, though. Wait, Corey Taylor. Reliever. You're thinking of the different Corey Taylor. I thought I was thinking of the guy from Texas Tech. Yeah, no, oh, is this, this is the Texas this Tech. This is the Texas yeah. Tech guy the Texas Tech who guy. had the 031 yeah. ERA in 57 innings in 2015. Should have included it in that. Area. Yeah, I mean, like. There uh, it is. It's the first line. Okay. Yeah, no. Taylor, I edited it. Taylor, Taylor recorded an 031. <laughs> That's how the handbook works. You don't, I don't have to have all the answers. JJ doesn't have to have all the answers, and you don't. You want to talk about the hive mind? It's a group this effort. is the hive mind right here. That's why, that's what, that uh, I could go on a big spiel about Baseball America, but we don't, none of us has to know everything. Some of us are absurd enough to try, but you guys are smart enough not to. But I like that that draft class for the Mets, they didn't have a first-round pick, they didn't have a giant pool. They just scouted. They just kind of out-scouted everybody. Patrick Mazika's at your top 30. He could be a like guy. Him. I, I, you know, that guy is hit. Is that the Conlon draft, too? Uh, uh, yeah, it is the Conlon draft. 13? 13th round. So. Yeah. I have to say it with a stupid fake Irish accent because I'm an idiot. Um, but I, So that's one of the reasons why I like their system a little bit better than I thought I did. I still, you know, that the 14 draft for the Mets, conversely, mm-hmm. is looking like a rough draft. That, Conforto, yeah. I, I think I gave them an A anyway. But the rest of the draft class, Milton Ramos... Oh, man, moment of silence for Eudor Garcia. I love Eudor Garcia. Don't write him off yet. We had the PED suspension. He's not in the 30, but... Yeah, like I could hit it El Paso CC. <laughs> but I don't think you ranked anybody else in the top 30 out of the rest of this whole draft that, class. That's correct. Um, you know, so it's not a class that's gone well for them. So it was important, that I, I think, for them that they had a really... I, I had some depth in that 15 draft, and I think they have the potential to have some real impact in that 16 draft. 2013 draft is another one that really uh, kind of concentrated in Dominic Smith in the first round and then Luis Guillorme in the 10th round. Those are the top guys from the rest of that draft. They did trade Casey Meisner with some other, some other kind of misses in that, in that draft class. So they, they needed a deep draft in 15, and they got it, and I like the 16 draft And again, well. the 16 draft, what's impressive about that is, is this is a team that was drafting late because, you know, again, they but they had they did have additional pick that helped. Yeah, that, that, absolutely. So Because uh, we like... Uh, Anthony Kay, we, in the, despite the Tommy John surgery. Pete Alonzo is a pretty interesting guy. Uh, mm-hmm. right, 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 first baseman, college first baseman, but he does have some big-time power. Yep. I was I mean, a little it, bit surprised by their college position player drafts after that, Blake Tiberi and Michael Paez, but you rank Colby Woodman, see who they had to be stunned to get in the fifth round. All consensus, I would say, uh, of short college shortstops. None of them had Coastal Carolina national champion Michael Paez ahead of Colby Woodmancy. I'll tell you, the Coastal Carolina team, their coaches are like, boy, we had Taylor Motter. We thought Taylor Motter was a dude who was going to get drafted high. He went in the 17th round. Michael Paez is not near the athlete Taylor Motter is, 
and he went in the fourth. It stunned them, and this is a national championship program, so they know players. They're pretty good at it, too. They were stunned Michael Piaz went in the fourth round. But Colby Woodmancy, who was consensus better the whole year, I think people thought Colby Woodmancy had a chance to be the top college shortstop well, again, in the draft. No, there, was no oh, consen- wow. there was no consensus. Right, but it wound he up was, being C.J. Chatham. But he was in that group of, yeah. you know, it really did become, it was eye of beholder, yep. and there were like five, six guys. Yep. And the funny thing about that is, is one of the things when there is that, when there's no, you know, you go back to the year before. The year before was a really good college shortstop draft. Epic. And, Record setting. And it with that epic. one. Asby Swanson's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> but there, Alex Bregman, too. But there were... Can, there was the top two, but the thing about it is, is that you, when there are the, those clear top guys, it's one of those things where no one, you know, you don't have this. Well, we really, Mikey White was the top guy on our board, or right. you, know, you don't get that kind of thing. The thing that every team we talk to about this year's, because they can legitimately do it, is if you're the Mets, you can talk about how those guys were the top shortstop on your board. Yeah, exactly. If you're the Royals and you take um, Creighton's, uh, help me, John, Nick Lopez. Nicky Lopez. Nicky, Nicky Lopez in like the you know in a later round. Hey, he was can, the top guy on our you're board. The top guy on their board. And the thing about it is, is that's that can be you're not they're not just blowing smoke because again right. there was no this is the first round college shortstop in this draft. That's right. But there was so many of these guys who it's like okay well, we like this guy we like this guy we like this guy. I like, though, what the Mets did there because, yeah, I mean, would Man see where they got him? Again, yeah. C.J. Chatham, if you told me that he ends up being better than C.J. Chatham, will not stun me. Absolutely. No, I. there is no – this is a pick em. I don't think anybody – there's not a board in Vegas probably that says top college shortstop for the 2016 draft. If there were, no, no, I would, that, that, not that, even I would bet on it. So. You, I'll take the field. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we do have a, a couple of oh, – we had one other question from College Fan 03. Will Ahmed and Dominic Smith both start in Las Vegas, or do you think they might start Ahmed Rosario in Double A next year? What's your take there? I think if he plays well in the spring, they'll bump him to Triple A to oh. get give him as much upper level experience before. Make Matt Reynolds your Triple A utility man. That is the thing. If Tacchini and Reynolds are kicking around, that, that, who, who that, else could potentially be there? I think those are the big two. Because well, TJ TJ Rivera is not guaranteed a spot. They have a lot of infielders. They do. They have a lot of infielders. <laughs> a lot of upper-level infielders. And Philip Evans would be AAA ready, theoretically. The, the thing about this is is that... Should have been Rule 5. They were hoping to clear some space. Yeah, they didn't protect that, him. That, that, that was one of the things that they didn't protect him. It's like, I right. looked, no. you look at that and you legitimately said, it's like, if he gets taken, the Mets can look at that and go, okay, that actually makes the decision-making a little easier. It's going to be kind of tough to tell Philip Evans... A great year there, Eastern League batting champ. Right. That's some bad news for you. Try to do it again. Yeah, seriously. I, I think he'll be picking up outfield a lot more. I think that's going to be one of the part of the solution. But but it is, again, they have also a lot of these guys, and not all of them going to work out. Like again, it does start, surprise me a little bit that Rafael Montero, who not that we ever thought he was going to be a star or anything, but I did feel like that there was enough there mm-hmm. to be a useful big league back of the rotation starter. Yep. And instead, it I do wonder sometimes, I mean, the one concern you have with some of these guys who are going to be headed back to the same place, staleness can set in. I mean, it's something where that shouldn't be a long-term problem, you would hope. But the reality of it is, is that there is something where it is harder to continue to improve when you're blocked and you kind of have to stay at the same spot than it is if there's kind of a clear path for you. And that's... That's a good problem to have, but the Mets do at the upper levels have guys who it's like, hey, we need you to do better than you did last year, but you did pretty good last year, and you're going back to the same spot that you were last year. Yeah. 
Yeah, Rivero, Nimmo, and Tukini, one, two, three in the batting race in the PCL. Yeah. And <laughs> not bad. That, and literally they all could end up starting the season. Yes. Uh, that's crazy. They all could be back in AAA. Yeah. That's a good pro- Again, that's a good problem to have compared to teams where it's like, well, who's going to be our upper level guys? This is a division. I want to wrap on this. This is a division of farm system extremes. You got the Braves, who are in contention to be the number one farm system. You got the Phillies, who are in contention for that. Not necessarily number one, but it's a good farm system. They're rebuilding. You got the Nationals, who traded the guts of their farm system. Mm-hmm. You have the Marlins, who like farm system. What's what a farm, farm system? system? Exactly. Why do we need this? Farm uh, system is just guys we haven't traded yet. That's right. Where are the Mets? Are the Mets in the middle in this farm system and this division? And but it does feel like the Mets are the combination of contender, two straight playoff appearances. With a pretty decent farm system. The Braves hope to be a contender soon, but they were obviously not in 2016. The Phillies were not. So those teams have good farm systems for a reason, because they intended to have good farm systems. The Mets seem like the... I mean, like the, again, the Nationals traded a lot of prospects for their big league team. Right. We'll see if it works. They still don't have a closer. It's it, inauguration day, they don't have a closer. And Victor Robles and Eric Fetty is a good one, too. It's a very good one, too. And I, I think there are teams that would take that over... Uh, you know, Ahmed Rosario and Don Smith. That's a that's a discussion. It is. Um, in fact, I think I might. I like Eric Fetty more than the average Bear. But um, Good but we're, but the Mets stand in the middle of this. I mean, it like, feels like they are a contender who should contend for several years, Matt. They feel like their window is not a short window. The starting pitchers stay healthy. Yes, no doubt. Well, my my thing with that is, is let's look at the Braves just for a second on this. The Braves have built a very impressive farm system. To me, when I look at the Braves, the best that they can hope to develop, if they're because they're pitching heavy, and obviously they're going to use some of that pitching at some point in trade and all that, but the best you can hope is if the Braves, with all this pitching, develop into the Mets starting rotation and healthy. That's the only thing I can addendum I could add to it. I can't see how they could be better. They're not going to be agree. better. They will not be better. They're not going to be better than the Mets. What the Mets best could be. Than what the Mets best is. When they're all healthy. And again, you can say, but they haven't all been healthy at the same time, all that. I get it. But the reality of it is, is that, and again, hey, the healthy Mets rotation was in the World Series in 2015. It was ridiculous. I'm sorry, but the Mets' healthy rotation, when Harvey, Syndergaard, DeGrom, and and Mats are all at full power, that's Death Star. I'm sorry, that's... And the Mets' healthy rotation allowed them, let's be honest, look at that 15 lineup. There were a... That was not... A, that was not, you know, murders or anything like that. It wasn't there was a profile. There was a <laughs> lot of limitations in that group, and they had injuries as well. I mean, but with all that, that pitching staff got them there. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think it's it actually it's an encouraging thing if you're a Braves fan because you say this is an example of what an outstanding rotation can do, and if it means that we have guys at shortstop who's not really a shortstop, guys at second base who's maybe not really ideal second base. A guy at third base who can't bend over because of injuries, <laughs> all these things, you can still make the World Series with that. But that being said, if you're the Braves, your aspiration is not to exceed that rotation. Yeah. You're dreaming that you hope. I mean, because again, you have to be a more complete team because you're not going to be better than the Mets on the mound. And again, Noah Syndergaard is, when we talk about freaks of nature who's like are beyond almost explanation. Noah Syndergaard, to me, you can talk about a role Chapman. Noah Syndergaard is at the top of that list. There is no one else like him who can go out there and throw at 
basically peak closer velocity levels inning after I mean, inning at after At some point, inning. don't you expect that Noah Syndergaard is going to be the best right-handed pitcher in the major leagues in the next three years? It's possible. If healthy. He was upset on Twitter that he, he got no Cy Young votes this year. <laughs> His Twitter game is pretty good. It is very good. It's, I don't follow a lot of players anymore, but he, uh, so I don't follow him, but I see him retweeting It's possible. Uh, innings is going to be the, the threshold he has to cross to get there. Yeah, to be like that. You know, he and, has to pitch like Verlander innings. Yes. And the concern about this is, how you know, can you do that? Can you do that when you throw a hundred mile an hour fastball and a ninety, you know, and a ninety-two to ninety-three pitched, mile an hour slider? He pitched through some bone spurs this year, so he's. You like to see that? He's, he, but again, I, I do look. Well, at I don't it. think we question the dude's toughness. No, <laughs> but I do look at it and I say, like, again, the, the, what I'm trying to say with that is, is as good as the Phillies farm system, you know, and their rebuilding is going, as good as the Braves farm system is as they rebuild, their aspiration is not really at this point to me to exceed where the Mets are. It's to get there and be in that king, which is fine. The reality is is that, you know, the NL East has been a uh, kind of a downtrodden, you know, division in many ways because you've had these teams where we're going to play them. We're, we should get we should get 16 wins out of those games, something like that. Right. There's usually been a team tanking. I or, think there or, is one right now, though. I, I think that division's on the move on the way up. Right. That's what I was going to say. Is this, but with that, it's the division on the way up. But I do look at it and I say, the Nat. If I'm a Nats fan, I look at it with, okay, where are we going to be in 2018, 2019, 2020? I'm the Mets. I look at it and say we still should be in that mix. The Mets are good. The Nats are like, are we still paying Jason Worth in those years? <laughs> That's your first question. You know, Noah Syndergaard, 36 strikeouts, 17 hits allowed, and 11 walks in 26 postseason innings. He's been pretty good. I mean, he was awesome. The only World Series the win. There's that. He was also awesome in the wild card game against Bumgarner. Yes, he was fantastic <laughs> in that game. So and he can hit a little bit too. He stepped so. it up. What's he got? Four career home runs. So something. <laughs> yeah, so I'll I'll give him that too. So good stuff. Any any last minute Mets uh, thoughts of yours, Matt? Besides a hashtag LGM. No, that's it. <laughs> that's it. All right. So JJ, where do we go tomorrow? How do you think we're tomorrow gonna... is Saturday? Oh shoot! Yeah, we're not going to tomorrow do is Saturday, and we will <laughs> What's not. What's our next? Podcast? Po- I'll, I'll be editing college preview issue. Um, What's our next podcast for Monday? Uh, what's well, the next see. game? In probably, probably, East? you know, it'll either be probably Phillies or at um, some point we're going to do twenty four hours of Braves. Yeah. JJ wants to do a. a you guys should, right. should go on Braves Reddit and just do an AMA. We've never done a but, but Braves Reddit weirdly seems like super active. So I get a lot of tweets from them. But uh, but no, I do think that uh, but we will you know probably save the Braves for the last in the uh, in the East. We've already we've knocked out the Marlins, yay. You know, uh, but you know Mets, Phillies, you know, and we maybe it'll be Nats. Basically, it'll be Teddy and Ben's availability. It's going to be Nats or uh, Phillies on yeah. uh, on Monday. You know what? We we'll actually will do Braves first part of next week because we'll actually have Nationals last because we got to wait for the. College preview issue to be over. Teddy is yeah. otherwise <laughs> occupied. So yeah, if we if we have to go into central, yeah, we will do brace before that. So okay, I agree. Thanks, JJ. Thank you, Matt, and thank you for listening to this Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit baseballamerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.